I don't think the film is taking any side when it comes to how one chooses to structure their specific religion. But I do think Mm. it's saying something about being blind to reason. Close Watch, Episode 6. Rob here. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. Listen, guys, I do own a calendar. I understand how long it's been since I've posted one of these things, but it's been a while, a few months. I have a new baby in the house, in a new house, and uh, just catching up with 2021 releases here. So, this will be the first of what we're dubbing the 12 Days of Crooked Table. You can listen to new episodes on Close Watch, this channel, and our sister show, Franchise Detours, every day for the next 12 days to keep an eye on those two uh, channels. I think for this one, we're going to do probably a nice straight run of five or six in a row to catch up with the episodes that should have been releasing all throughout the fall. Again, my apologies on that. Expect a normal schedule starting in 2022. A lot of cool episodes already planned in the works for that. This one, we're going to talk about the 1973 cult classic, The Wicker Man with Amy Otero. And this conversation went a lot deeper, as happens sometimes on this show, than I was expecting. We delved into the sort of pagan rituals at the center of this film. We touched on the Nicolas Cage remake, of course. And uh, I think it was a really interesting, stimulating conversation about uh, how maybe this movie is a little bit misunderstood. So, Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into our conversation with Amy Otero about The Wicker Man. I am here to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you? That can stand by and see your own child slaughtered? You are the fool, Mr. Harry. You are liars. You are despicable little liars. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. On this episode, I am honored to welcome to the show, Amy Otero. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we talked on the previous version of the show about The Witch, which is a movie I had similar vibes from, from this one, I think, a little bit. So uh, we'll probably get into that later on. But for now, can you tell people who you are, what, what what you're all about? Oh, okay. Well, I am a have a degree in English literature and I am an English teacher. I teach 12th grade English and I've done that now for about 20 years. I've taught all levels of English and all levels of 12th grade English. So I've taught the struggling readers and I've taught the top 10% valedictorian and whatnot. And yeah, I really, really, really love story. 
and I, I have many geekdoms around various stories that I've collected over the years, both written literature, stage drama, cinema, all of the genres. That's me. I think too, it's, I, I just said at the top of the show that about the, the premise of this podcast is getting to know guests through the movies they love. And I think that what you just said and what your job is teaching English and all of that, I think you can see that in both The Witch and The Wicker Man. These are both very literary horror movies, I feel like. Is is that okay, something so, that you go? Yeah, so go let ahead. me ask you though, let me ask you, how do you like when you use the term these are literary horror movies, what does that mean to you? What does a literary horror movie look like? Hmm. What do I mean by that? I, they feel very, very intellectual, first of all. They feel so okay. almost academic in their execution. They feel like they, un, they, they unfold in the way that I would that a novel would. And, and they both are creating a, 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 they're transformative in that they take you to a, another world in a way that most horror movies or most movies in general, both of these films, and we'll get into The Wicker Man in a second, I'm jumping the gun on my own show here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I felt like that was a good transition. Both of them feel very much like adaptations of books. I know this is inspired by a book, uh, Ritual from 1967, and The Witch is an original screenplay, but marketed as a New England folktale. So it feels like something you would have studied in like British literature in college. Yeah. yeah, did I feel like I feel like I'm being graded on my answer. So how do No, I no, do no. I think that's I think that that's interesting. <laughs> I had really ever thought about like it being the uh, I think that as you were explaining what you felt like a literary horror movie was and as you were talking me through it, what I imagined or what I was visualizing was this this type of film that demands a little more from its audience. That's definitely that, yeah. Right, and I think that that's what what you're describing is the same experience we have as readers of literature, this type of stuff that you really can't just surface read. And I think that's interesting because one of, to me, one of the charming things about horror is that it doesn't work really require anything of its audience, but to be in a passive state and allow itself to get caught up and be scared, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's the, I'm just thinking about like the literary horror movie, like where's where, how does the audience get scared or are there different things? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'll be stopped. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. And I I think both of these, both of these two movies, the one we talked about, before and and the wicker man which we're going to get to in a second are both very unconventional like they are they're not really movies that maybe you've done this because you're such a fan of this movie but i feel like these would be hard to put on in the background while you're doing other things they're not really that like oh you're walking by it's that scene cool while you're folding laundry kind of thing they're more they're more immersive than that and i think that's what i meant by more what i meant by intellectual is that you have to engage in them and it's more of a a slow burn you feel the tension tighten and tighten and tighten throughout the course of it there's not really conventional jump scares or conventional monsters really the witch has a little bit of that but conventional monsters in the way that a lot of like slasher movies or more modern 
types of horror would would are yeah. known for. I would agree with that absolutely. Like both pieces absolutely share well in both movies there's the whole element of culture shock. Like you this is because we're talking about like the engagement of the audience. Like the audience it, it takes a moment for the audience to get over the shock of where they are. You know what I mean? Cuz both places yeah. like the 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 world the 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 early 17th century puritan world of new england takes a little imagination to get into you know and i think like getting to summer isle and stepping through that veil there's like this you really i think the the filmmaker did a really excellent job kind of like a, the 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 conflict between howie the inspector and just the whole setting of Summer Isle, the moment he begins talking to them, the moment he gets, you know, in the boat and goes to the island, like the 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 the, the obvious feeling that man, you do not belong there, and you should mm-hmm. probably leave immediately, right? Did yeah. you get that sense in the very beginning, and you just immediately feel like this is a strange world you're going to have to learn about? Well, and it's the role of the music in the movie too. It's that like seemingly innocuous folk music, but in in a horror movie makes everything seem creepy. So so like in the very beginning when he's in the boat and the music's playing, I'm like, whoa, this is not the opening I was expecting. Like it's just, you're already a little unsettled before it even, it even really gets going. Yeah, did you know it was going to be a musical before you before you watched it? Because it is right. But yeah, the soundtrack is the soundtrack is iconic. Like it is, it very much breathes a whole nother layer into that narrative, like a whole nother thread into that narrative that goes back to, I was telling you, like where you feel like you're that immersion into a world in this case, this like other side of the veil uh, world of the past, the, 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 the world cut off, like, cause, cause Summer Isle is so interesting, right? Because it's part of, of greater Scotland, mm-hmm. but it's one of these little islands off the coast of Northern Scotland that, yeah, they're a part of Scotland, but they're also very disconnected. Like even to this day, there's like, the, a lot of these little islands up there are like really isolated from mainland life but you think about like the probability like could something like this happen in this type of setting it's a community the fact yeah. that they're all singing these songs together and like the 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 warmth of the typically you would experience when like a community or a tribe of people or singing songs in a tavern or they're singing songs and in, in celebration of whatever it's it it should like warm you and whatnot but when you think that the entire group of people or i don't know if i'm jumping the gun but that when, when when you go back and watch it and you know that everybody on the island is in on it right it changes how you see every single scene yeah right definitely. and it it makes everybody on that island significantly more sinister than before because they every time they he interacts every time howie interacts with an islander on summer isle they know why he's there Mm -hmm. you know 
And that adds to the terror of it for me because it's, it's a subtle, you talked about it. No, it doesn't have any jump scares. Where is the fear? Like, where is the horror and the terror in this particular story? Where do we find it? What does scare us? And I think part of the thing that's, that's scary is the idea that this entire group of people are in on it. Children, elderly, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know. I just saw no, that no, absolutely. Yeah. That's the, it's ultimate conspiracy. Right. It's, it's the, it's the thing that watching it now, cause I, I had never seen this movie uh, before. I, I was aware of the remake and I knew of the end of the remake and how notorious that was. So I had a general feel for what was going to happen towards the end. Uh, of this movie, but it was, I realized how much of this, like how influential and how many times this has been riffed on in other movies that I've seen, which we'll get into, but I want to, I want to back it up for a second. Uh, So obviously we talked before uh, about the witch. And I think towards the end of that, I feel like I, or I don't know where we, we, this movie first came up, but we had this in our back pocket for a while. And like, I knew next time I had you on, not for a Harry Potter uh, series of episodes, that we were going to talk about the Wicker Man. Wicker Man so right. what is it about the Wicker Man? Like, why uh, did you want to talk about this? And what's your um, kind of first time watching it experience? Okay, so in 1993, I was a student. I was a medieval, medieval history student and was at USF. And my professor was a guy named Roy Van Nest. And he was just an amazing, he just, his lectures were just fascinating, but he had really, he had really open office hours and you could come in and talk to him about anything or whatever. And basically the read, there's a lot of readings you had to do in a medieval history class. So a lot of times you would, you would need to go in and talk to the professor. And he was totally, he was one of my favorite, if not my most favorite professor, but we were, when you study medieval history, you start with the fall of the Roman Empire and the 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 waning of of Roman civilization from what is now the UK, right? And you have these like the beginnings of Saxon and Anglo invasions and and whatnot. So you start at that period of history, at least for that particular part of the world. There was more obviously to the medieval European world, but that particular discussion was about what did pre-Christian Europe look like? What would have been, because the Romans obviously brought all of their customs and, and didn't, didn't really seek to, to displace the local customs of the British people, but rename everything make it Roman, just slap that Roman seal on it. And then it, you know, would be fine. So you can call that goddess, whatever you want, but we're going to call her Diana because that's what her name is. But once the Romans left and cleared all that out, we were just, we were having this discussion about what did it look, what would it look like? What, what would the mysticism involve? What would the, what, what were the greater questions, the, the greater existential questions of, of humans in that time period, in that place? And Roy, my teacher, my professor had said, oh, well, you got it. You have to see a movie called The Wicker Man. And, it, and he went on to tell me, yes, this was 1973, Christopher Lee. 
cult classic. And he said, if you really want to have a general idea of what pre-Christian religion would have looked like in Europe at the time, specifically the UK, the Celtic people of Scotland and Wales and whatnot, you got to see this. This is, he said, it's a, it's a fantasy, it's a movie, but it's not a bad rendition of like the general characteristics, I guess. Now at the time, where do you go get a movie called the wicker man? Like blockbuster doesn't have that Hollywood video didn't have that. So we had a place in Tampa called unique video and it was over there on Armenia, kind of in the Forest Hills area. But it was the coolest little shop. All this guy specialized in was movies you couldn't get at places like Blockbuster Video and, and that thing. So obscure director's cuts of certain movies, things like that. Foreign films, that stuff. This guy had those films. And someone told me, well, if anybody has the Wicker Man, Unique Video will have the Wicker Man. So, of course, I called them and they had it and I went and picked it up and I brought it home. And I watched it and I was like 21 at the time. And it just, it just made, it just made an impression on me. And and I think it obviously for me, like a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, my professor had recommended it. It It had come out of this conversation we were all having about that period of history. And so that, I think it was just kind of like that. And then I went out and went in search of the movie in a time where you couldn't just type in the movie and download mm-hmm. it, you know? So yeah. <laughs> Wasn't streaming anywhere. Yeah. And then about, I want to say maybe like, maybe about 20 years ago, God dog it, maybe like 18 years ago, I don't remember where I was. Maybe I think I was like in a box store like Target or even Walmart or something. And they had a a special edition. It was probably in 2003. It was probably like a special release anniversary thing where it was a two DVD collection. And the second DVD had the extended director's cut. And I'm like, well, what the hell? What do you mean the extended director's cut? So that, of course, it being 2003, led me to the internet where I read up. And at the time, Christopher Lee was still alive and he was still doing interviews about this film. And of course, Lord of the Rings had had come out and there was all that renewed interest in Christopher Lee and what he had been up to. And so, of course, he was getting a lot of airtime. And a lot of times, this film would come up and and he would reference this director's cut, this extended cut and how that was supposed to be the, the, the real, the real narrative that, that, that extended edition was how the film was supposed to be told. And then I learned about the controversy surrounding the theatrical cut, the problems they had with distribution, the film initially flopping. I learned all of this stuff because I just started listening and watching interviews with Christopher Lee about the experience of making this film. So yeah, and 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 it's so funny to me because like over the years when I meet people that know this film, I, I've never met anyone over the years that I'm like, hey, have you ever seen The Wicker Man? And they're like, yes, of course I've seen the, absolutely I've seen The Wicker Man. And it always elicits 
a certain degree of excitement, like, oh, I found another person who who has seen the Wicker Man and I can talk to them about it because it, wait, wait, even now it's not something, even with, even post Nicolas Cage yeah. atrocity, even now most people haven't seen the 1973 version. And last year during quarantine, Netflix had it on and streamed oh, it man. for a while. And I was like, holy damn, we're going to have a lot more people watching The Wicker Man. I don't know if anybody actually watched it, but yeah. And I know a lot of pagan people. I know a lot of neo-pagan people. And I know that this is just one of those like cult classic films that just resonates with <laughs> with them for <laughs> well, obvious reasons, I suppose, even though I don't believe the film to be at all pro-pagan I was, that, I was, I, that was literally how i almost how exactly how i had it worded in my notes like is this move is this pro-pagan or anti-pagan because it's presented know, at, as anti-pagan by the end obviously well i i heard the director call it a cautionary tale but he didn't necessarily say what to be cautious of he just left right. it out there and when I rewatched it last year when it was on Netflix and I had watched the theatrical version for the first time in a long time because I had that DVD version and I henceforth had only watched because I watch it once every year on on May Day around Beltane. That's when I watch it. So anyway, I, I watched it about a year ago and I thought about it in terms of what does the film say about zealousness in general. And when we look at the zealousness of Howie and his religion and his devotion to his God and what that drives him to do or ways it drives him to be. And then we see the zealousness of the community, the people of Summer Isle, and what that drives them to do. So I don't think the film is a pro, I don't think the film is taking any side when it comes to how one chooses to structure their specific religion. But I do think mm -hmm. it's saying something about being blind to reason. And I think that like the, to me, one of the most poignant moments is when he's standing there, they're, they're standing on the, it's the flat, it's before he goes to, to see the wicker man. Mm -hmm. And he sh shakes himself loose. He's being restrained and he, and how he shakes himself loose. And he, and he looks at them all and he says, what are you going to do next year when the crops fail again? Because they will, what will be an acceptable sacrifice then? And then he points to Summer Isle, Lord Summer Isle, and says, only you will do, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, Summer Isle has a, Christopher Lee plays it. He, he, he just, you see the thought quiver across his eyes for just a moment. And he says, that won't happen because of course the sacrifice will be accepted and the harvest will be bountiful again and, and yada, da, 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 you know? Right. And there, of course, is like the, the greater irony that, his great, his grandfather figures out through science and reason how to make 
awesome food grow here in a place that is usually pretty barren and stark of vegetation, but he figured it out using science. And then two generations later, (laughs) they're burning people in Wicker Man. And I also feel like house, I also feel like the film is a, is a, a cautionary tale about how fleeting sometimes reason is like how how did we how did we become a society that can put people on the moon and then a generation later reject science you know what i'm saying like it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. interesting there is something there too so outside of like the the context like the the story really feels like a fable you know in that regard to me but yeah, it's, so it's presented with a disclaimer too, like at yeah. the top, like thanks, Lord Summerisle, for letting us depict your 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 cultural society and your rituals yeah. and blah 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 and all yeah. that, giving us access. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it, it adds like an, it, 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 it presents it that way. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really I, was. And I need to go back and look at the extended version because I'm I'm not entirely sure that is in the extended version. But yeah, I thought that that was. That was yet again like a nice touch in creating that the eeriness of well, this place is real or this place could be real. This could happen in these in, in this situation. It also, again, to, to bring the witch up briefly, this movie also challenges those puritanical values that are so prevalent in the witch. Right. And, and pushes that. I think if anything, both of those these movies, this one even more so are more anti-religious fanaticism than anything else. Because it's really, jumping off of what you were saying, he is fanatical about his religion and pushing it on them. And they're fanatical about their religion. Only thing is, he's one guy on an island of people who share the same values. So it's like hundreds of people or however many are on this island. I guess it's unclear the exact number of people on this island. But against one person, it's their, their religious fanaticism wins out. And me watching this for the first time in, in my late 30s, I was raised Catholic. I'm yeah. now pretty much as atheist as you can get at this point. <laughs> so he's the whole thing, him being so persistent with his religious viewpoint and pushing it on them. I was like, oh, am I supposed to like this guy? Because it's not it's not working for right. me. Uh, and then that- until you get to the end, like they're almost on a level, level playing field. Like they're doing their thing, dude. You came in their space. This is them just living their life. So it positions it like to me watching it, it positioned it to me as as Howie almost being the villain. Like he's the imposter until the end where it goes the, you know, too they go too far, basically. But right. I, I what I'm just curious, what was your when you first watched it? And even now, like, what was yours? What religious background were you bringing to the table? And how did that affect your viewing then now and how maybe that's changed? Yeah, sure. I was also raised Catholic, but uh, really Catholic with a lowercase c. We were very mm-hmm. soft Catholics. Yeah, we don't, we do weddings, baptisms, yeah, that kind of thing. But I saw this in my 20s. And at that point in my life, I did not consider myself Catholic and I didn't really have any religious association with anything in particular at the time. So I think I was maybe, I know I would have been 19. I was 19 when I saw this movie 
for the first time. I saw it again later in my 20s. I think probably again, maybe 26, 27. So 20, yeah, about 20 years ago, maybe. And at that point, I was, I had already associated myself with modern day paganism and the path of modern and eclectic witchcraft. So I came to it again through those eyes as well at that point. So I don't know, it's been interesting to see it at different moments in my life because I think when I saw it in my 20s, I didn't like him either. Like, I was like, you know what, Howie? The second you got here, <laughs> yeah. you're just judgy, 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 and you're hostile. Right. It made me feel like the rude, like I was watching the rude, brash Westerner walking through a culture that a foreign, exotic culture. And, and being like, ugh, what's ugh, these people? Like it, like mm-hmm. to me in my early, in my mid twenties, even that, that's, and so that's how I felt about him. And so in a way I thought I focused on who he was as that buffoon that it's, it's intentional, right? Like he plays, yeah. he, he plays the part of the fool, the buffoon. And that's poignant in, in the issue of sacrifice. And we find that shit out later and so forth and so on. But now when I come back, and I, I think like the last few times I've seen over the, the last few times I've seen the movie, maybe over the last 10 years or so, I have so much more sympathy for him because they bait him. They send him a picture mm-hmm. of a little girl and they say that they suspect that she's been hurt. And he goes not just out of some religious duty but, or even at least out of a police duty. But I think he, he, I think he understands that that's what a person does, but let's just say it's all about duty. He does what he has to do, right? He does what a good cop would do. He does what a good Christian would do. And then of course, when he gets to Summer Isle, one of the things that you notice is They repeatedly tell him, you can go. We don't know what you're talking about. Everything's cool here. If I were you, I would just go. And, and, And they're constantly giving him opportunities to leave. But he won't because he doesn't trust that something sinister hasn't happened to this child. So it's not just, he doesn't stay just out of some sense to punish the non-Christian, he stays because he's trying, he's trying in earnest to do his job and protect this kid. And then I think about the scene with Willow and the temptation, the siren song yeah. and how if he had just given in to Willow, he would no longer have been a suitable sacrifice. Very true. Right? It's all about testing so him. Right. It's the whole time they get, remember the whole village when like, when you go back and you see it again and you know that the whole village knows who he is and why he's there and what's going to happen to him. It, it, it changes how you see each scene and each scene is a, is a little test. It's something to get him to leave. You could just leave. You could turn around and you can walk away now. And he persists and he persists and he persists. And of course, because it isn't just his conviction 
and his earnest desire to save this kid that propels him through the narrative. The other thing that propels him through the narrative is the fact that these are disgusting people doing disgusting things. And he is, he is looking down at them because of a sense of superiority that his version of Christianity gives him. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's that, but by the time we get to the end of the film, I think, well, you know what, this guy, this is a martyr's death. This is like, this guy has been tested and he's remained true to his God, to scripture, to all the things. And he's dying a martyr's death. And Summer Isle tells him that, hey, lucky you, you get what the best Christians in the world want. You get a martyr's death. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and he turns his, his psychology, the psychology of, of that aspect of Christianity back on him. Like, Hey, if you're, if you're the Christian that you claim you are, that you've been behaving as, then you should really jump on this opportunity to die a martyr. Cause that's gonna, what's the implication of that statement other than mm -hmm. that's going to get you closer to God. It's also watching this now. It, it, and I think the, the question of whether Howie, I, in air quotes, deserves what happens to him at the end. It, it remind it calls to mind exactly how much I don't know if you've seen it, but how much Midsummer desperately wants to be the Wicker Man. Okay, like, so I, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> please. Not, you seem like you want to respond. Well, go no, I it. haven't seen Midsummer because I okay. can't. I remember we 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 talked about this briefly. I can't seem to get past some of the. I don't know, gratuitousness of the film. Right, right. Um, and I really do want to see it. So I wish like there was just someone who could like edit a special version for me. But uh, my daughter has seen Midsummer. My daughter's 16. And she came in on the last, I guess, 15 minutes of The Wicker, of, uh, the Wicker Man. Yeah, because I had finished watching it today. And the first thing she said was, "Ugh, this is just like Midsummer." <laughs> it is. It is. Listen, a, a pagan, a pagan tribe or a village or community. Mm -hmm. There's, there's so getting ready to celebrate like May Day and all of that. It's very, very thematically similar. The ending is similar. Like, and the the care. There's a particular character in there who is tested, and there's another particular character who gets a very dark fate. And the question is, well, did that person deserve that, have that coming, et cetera. And there were all these takes coming out after that movie came out of people being on one side or another of that debate. And it, it, yeah, it raises a lot of the same questions, I think. Well, I think I know what you're talking about because I did watch, yeah. I watched a good like 35 minutes of it. And I think you're talking about the, the gaslighting boyfriend. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I understand. <laughs> I I understand generally like how that film ends and how she's the May Queen and and he's what he's like dressed like a bear and he's like the sacrifice. Right. That thing. And um, then it's like, well, he was a terrible boyfriend. And I'm like, but doesn't he, he was, he was the worst. And they, Look, they baited him too, like they bait Howie in this movie. Like they drug him, they put him in, they manipulate everyone on the like there's way more well there's manipulation happening in both films but i feel like there's almost way more intense maybe invasive manipulation happening in midsummer than okay. the wicker man which was part of why i feel like this is in a way a stronger narrative because it's it, it there's a lot more you can 
read into it as far as as well how much was him how much of how he's undoing was his own of his own making and how much was like like you're saying he had multiple opportunities to leave and yeah uh, he yeah. wasn't really being like groomed as much to serve a certain purpose mm-hmm. okay here's one detail though that i kind of that makes me take a little bit of a step back from the idea that he could have left it every, at any time. He could have left at any time up until they broke his plane. <laughs> because it does, it does, when I went, again, when I was looking at it and going over the, the plot line, I was like, well, I know that they messed with the plane. But again, like I said, I had, I'd been watching the extended version and I wasn't sure in the theatrical when or if that happened. And he tries to leave the day of of May Day, of May 1st. He tries to go and he gets on the plane and the plane won't start. So I guess and the whole point of this, the only reason why I'm bringing that up is that I guess he had up until April 30th to leave. <laughs> yeah, that was there was a, there was a deadline there. I think right. at that Once, point they're like, yeah. well, who do we need? We need a, a virgin check. Right. We need is, a, a fool right. check. We need like, yeah, they had like their... By then he had checked all the boxes and they're like, okay, right. we got him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we got our, our ritual sacrifice. Uh, yeah. He's locked in. So yeah, I think that's that's probably why they're like, nope, nope, too late now. You missed your chance, dude. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love that that we mentioned Willow's song already. And the the music in here is like we were already mentioning is so, is so integral to everything. And I, some of these songs were actually pretty catchy. I was like, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to check them out on Spotify. I think later this week, <laughs> if I can, if they don't creep me out too much um, to go back to the midsummer thing. Like I tried to, I listen to film scores a lot. And after mm-hmm. I saw that, I was listening to the, trying to listen to that, like while I was working, I was like, no, 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 it's, it's too, I'm getting nervous about just listening to it. So let's move on. But yeah. How, how impactful do you think the music is in here and how uh, seemingly, uh, accurate to to the, the pagan ways they are and then how they they set the tone for the rest of the film well one of my secret personal delights while watching the film because uh, i don't take any delight in what happens to howie i i it's all again like i said it's it's not wicker men are not good ideas but one of my secret delights in watching the film is I enjoy the fantasy of living on an island or some living in a community where paganism is so open and celebrated. Like, like I get like mm-hmm. w- when I'm walking, of course, okay. W- if I'm walking down the street of Summer Isle and I look in the window of the post office and there's loaves of bread cooked, baked in the shape of the sun and there's maiden cakes and cakes in the shape of hairs and all, it's like all of that, like the, the maypole and the, the leaping over the bell fires and the wassailing through the, you know, wassailing through the apple blossoms. I just think all of that imagery is beautiful. I think it's stunning Mm. for me. And I think one of the things, because it's, it is so, it's, it's not repressed. I'm not suggesting that like cakes and flowers and things aren't celebrated and, and we don't see those things, but the idea of like a, an out in the open Beltane celebration where, Mm those decorations and and symbols and characters are just as prolific as their Christmas or Yuletide counterparts. 
right? Because mm-hmm. most of the most of the symbols and imagery of Christmas is all inherently pre-Christian and pagan. Don't don't tell Christians that. Well, I'm sorry, but it's it is. Yeah, no, it no, is. I'm just saying because <laughs> I'm just pointing out um, kind of the the, the hypocrisy there. I can yeah, so I feel like I, I from like, again, so like the the images of of the maidens jumping over the bell fire in the hopes that they'll be able to give life. Right. The women, the pregnant women, blessing the like walking through the the orchards of apple blossoms. I just think that is such, and even the boys in the maypole. And I think the funny thing, oh my God, one of the funniest moments to me is when he goes to the school, how he goes to the school and he interrupts the lesson on mm-hmm. the rites and rituals of May Day. That's how she says she goes, the <laughs> rites and rituals of May Day. And she has all this stuff written on the board about like the hag stone is for this and the snake stone is for that, you know, and, and you're like, what is this? It's like, it's like almost like little, little, little Hogwarts or something. You know what I mean? Like they're just in (laughs) and the girls sitting in the classroom are like bored. Like any group of girls would, any group of students would be. And the teacher's like, okay, well, what does the maypole symbolize? And like (laughs) the girl she calls on doesn't even know it. She's like, I can't. And it's like, they're talking about like sex and penises and the kids are just like, yeah. And the kids are just like, and the girl's just like, I don't know. You know, and it's just, I thought that that was such a, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Like a bunch of kids it doesn't even matter what you're trying to teach them. You know what I mean? Like they're still being kids about it. Uh, so I thought I always chuckle to myself every time I see that when he storms into the classroom and the girls are all like side giggling at him. But yeah. So like, go, I, I'm sorry to be all over the place, but like the, fine. The, the, the way the story shows this pagan community, this goddess worshiping community, this, this, all of the beautiful aspects of that, at least from my perspective, I'm sure I, somebody else might be looking at it like Howie and being like, the hell is wrong with these people? You know? And I think that's what most of the audience would have, that's most of the response they would have had. And that to some degree would have been the response I would have had at 19 or 20 when I first saw this Mm -hmm. film. But now I look at it and I'm like, damn, wouldn't it be something if people just celebrated May Day out in the open and Beltane again, and just and we just like nobody had to really hide who they were or what they did or or right. you know and, and i there, there's so many there's so many beautiful aspects of my particular spiritual path that i just think most people would enjoy regardless of what their religion is just cool things to share but i i also know that all that stuff that i resonate with in the film the beautiful aspects are just part of there's a shadowy underbelly there, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's Summer Isle says to Howie when he's talking about how they went, how they adopted the old ways or the old religion again. He says something to the effect he's he's defending the idea of how his father and his grandfather, mainly his father, I think taught people that it was okay and good to love and to celebrate the earth, but also to fear her. And I think that that's what we're looking at. And then of course, then we, then we talk about like, what, what does the film say about the nature of sacrifice and that the fear of 
what what do we fear about nature? We can't control her. You know? So much of this movie is about fear of the unknown. Howie's like, I don't understand this, therefore it's bad. Is his his whole and the, thing and control? Like these people are not yeah. being controlled by the same dogma that controls him and Greater Scotland and Greater UK. Right. He keeps telling Summerisle, I don't, I don't know what you do here, but you are still part of a Christian kingdom. Yeah, I come from a Christian country and, uh, right. yeah, and all that. Exactly. Yeah. To, to your point about how about the fantasy of living in a pagan community where you don't have to hide that stuff because you governed by Judeo-Christian values and right. uh, Merry Christmas and all that's like you like you were saying and which creates an interesting dynamic for this movie because on the one hand it creates that community but on the other hand they end up being villainous at the end of the movie so it's like how do you as someone who who shares some of those pagan views like Mm -hmm. how do you reconcile the fact that this this movie and others like it create that community in such an ideal idyllic way for most of the Mm runtime but then yet in the larger cultural landscape the the representation of paganism on film is evil cult and stuff how do you (laughs) at least that's the way it's represented in the movie obviously so what is how do you square those two you said you mentioned about watching this uh, on may day obviously you don't condone wicker men and ritual sacrifices Mm -hmm. so what is your your thought process there because i i could see both why you'd want to celebrate it but also why you'd be like but why does it let me down? Because uh, Carrie Jones has uh, been on the show before, a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. She, I showed her The Witch because I thought it was a really good movie. As mm-hmm. we've discussed, people can listen to that episode. She was really let down in the end of the movie. Oh, because The Witch watch. was bad? Because The Witch was bad. And the so she was, was like, bad. oh, man, why do they always have to make, why do they have to go that way and have it just be like, Nope, this thing that you thought was weird and different, it is it is evil and everything. So yeah, so I'm curious about your 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 answer there. Well, I have a couple things to say about the witch in that regard. I understand I understand why Carrie would feel a little let down, but I, I didn't really look at it that way. But I'll talk about the wicker man first. I, to me, I, I don't really care who the bad guy is in the story as long as it's mm-hmm. good writing. I I don't like to be personally offended by crappy writing. And if you're just going to like make the witch, the bad, the bad guy or the pagan, the bad guy, because they're a pagan or because they're a witch, that's just stupid storytelling. That's that's cheap. That's lazy. I don't feel that the wicker man is offensive to pagans. I don't feel that the wicker man is even offensive. I don't, I don't, I don't feel, yeah. I'm trying to think here. Casting them as the bad. I just don't even see them as bad guys in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you could make an argument that Lord Summer Isle is a bad guy. Right. And that Lord Summer Isle is using religion just like every man in power for centuries mm-hmm. to manipulate the masses, the people, the community to get them to do atrocious stuff without even realizing they're being atrocious. I do not believe, I believe that the pagans in Summer Isle enthusiastically and with all their hearts love their God and goddess and believe a thousand percent that they will be rewarded for this. 
And I think that that's not them being bad. That's them being manipulated by this one dude who has already admitted that his grandfather used early genetic modification, right? He had hybridized plants. He had taken advantage of the way of the, of, of the, of the climate, given the geography of that island to, he figured out a way to exploit it. He figured out a way to, to use science to manipulate what he had so that he could create a world or this world where he could grow food in abundance. And in doing so, he revitalizes the economy of this island and the people are beholden to him and they... The, the 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 evolution of their turn the, the turning away of Christianity and the adoption of the old religion and the beginnings of this culture that's being created is being created by the lords of Summer Isle. So mm. in fairness, okay, in, in <laughs> fairness to neo-pagans of today or even the pagans of old, this is a version of paganism that the Summer Isles have adapted and have taught to these people who rely on them for everything. Again, I guess I have a hard time seeing the pagans of Summer Isle as, as the bad guys. I think if we're going to look for a villain, and if we're going to look for a villain, then we have to say that Howie's a hero. <clears throat> yeah, no, I don't know about that either. Right. I didn't go that far. And when I said villains, I'm meaning mostly from like mainstream audiences reaction to this movie. Like, oh, it was because it's- Crazy it's, pagans. You know, Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I agree with you 100 percent. And that's part of why we were saying earlier what makes these movies so terrifying. The fact that the real the real villain, if you want to call it that, is religion and how it can be used as it can be weaponized. We've seen that a lot in just recent the last few years, politics and and things like that, how how that's being twisted and sure. uh, in, against against science against logic right. against the uh, summer yeah. isles the summer isles the lords of summer isle created a mythos that helps sustain their economy you know and yeah. and so in that case the movie makes a like you said it makes an argument about you know this is how, how do you control a mass of a, a group of people how do you get them to to make your destiny come true, you know, and that's how you do it. That's how you do it. So I don't know. I, I, again, I, I, it doesn't bother me. I I just, I I don't know. I I don't, I don't, I I don't, I don't see why anybody would be offended by the, the wicker man, like who is paying it. But I get, I get what you're saying. But the thing to me about the witch and Carrie's disappointment over it and how, man, she did turn out to be, a terrible, mean, horrible witch. I was totally okay with that. Like that, I didn't have any problem with that at all. Like that didn't offend me in in the least because I think this is a Puritan world and this is the space witches take up in a Puritan world. And even mm-hmm. if a witch, like that's, I appreciated that that movie never veered from that perspective. 
and 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 made us think hmm maybe there's more to witches than we thought it wasn't it was never attempting to make right. an argument on behalf or for witches it was a folk tale you know and i i just think the fact that 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 perspective never swayed is what made it such an effective folktale you know so even as a modern day witch i'm a puritan in that story and i and i'm having a sympathetic reaction to what it's like to be a puritan in a world that you see as just riddled with evil Mm-hmm. That you can't, that you can, there's no hope from it. And oh my goodness, it's just, it's so pathetic. It's horrible. I've just, oof. You could see easily how people watch The Witch specifically would see Thomason's rising in that circle uh, uh-huh. with the other witches as either like horrific or horrifying or empowering and like good for her in a place that she. Yeah, she, found, I mean, I, uh, she she liberated herself from yeah. a society that puts her in a box, and she's like, "No, I'm going to be whoever I want to be." And so you can see how one's background, religious or otherwise, one's value set would impact how they read these things. That's why I asked you earlier, like, mm-hmm. what religious background were you bringing to this movie to see how it would? Because it really sh- like if I showed this to some of my more Christian uh, family members, they'd be like, sure. "Oh." Poor Howie. <laughs> he yeah, well, didn't, he poor didn't Howie. Yeah, he was sure. just trying to save their souls or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I still say poor Howie. But at the same time, I'm also like, you make these rules for yourself to live by. And I think of the, the father and the witch. His name was William. Was his name William? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and the whole idea that you 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 as I, I of course i i'm still operating under the assumption that people choose their religions and i know that most of the time it's not a choice for people mm-hmm. but okay. you know that this is what you've set up for yourself this is how you plan on living and this is how it's going to make you feel and this is the crazy stuff it's going to make you do so i feel that way about howie and i feel that way about william he had to, well, William and the witch had to have his pride. He had to have his, his ego intact and that costs him his community. And it's the isolation and banishment that gets his family, that destroys his family, right? Mm-hmm. You can make an argument that that's what destroys his family, not the witch. And go, going back to the, the puritanical view of the witch and the idea of the scary, the scary hag that lives in the forest, I I, I I love the scary hag that lives in the forest. I think the scarier the better. I think we need witches. We need we need that. We need that character. And I know that people would probably say, "Why? That's that's the demonization of 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 the witch." And uh, no, it's really not. It's just one aspect of what of what the witch archetype is. And there's a very good reason why we have like the scary witch that lives in the woods that will will steal your baby or or steal your man juice, whatever the heck it is that you're afraid (laughs) of, you know, but she's out there doing that. I had a conversation and this is where I'm going with this. I had a conversation with, again, my 16 year old daughter the other day, and she is obviously one of these kids who's connected to TikTok all the time. And I guess there's like a whole community of, of little witches on TikTok that, that produce all this content about their spirituality and their paths and their their Wiccan influences and things like that. And I guess a couple of girls shared a story about how they 
they took their rocks and crystals down to their local neighborhood park so that they could in the evening so that they could watch the full moon rise when they could put they they wanted to put their little rocks out on the grass and sit there together as the moon rose and it was a full moon and they their their intent was to i guess do have an observance as witches to bless their stones or something along those lines. I don't know what the, the, the full intent of their religion, of what their ritual was. It was pretty low key, nothing real scary, no cauldrons, mm-hmm. no eyes of newt, none of this stuff. Right. These were middle school teen girls. These were not cloaked characters from American horror story. These are not girls who should attract really any attention. And yet they did. And the 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 point of the story, the reason why my daughter was telling me the story is that of course, within minutes, the boys who were down there playing basketball immediately became interested in what these two girls were doing by themselves off in the little field there. And of course had to come over and touch their stuff and ridicule them and ask under the guise of asking questions. I've had Mm -hmm. that same experience so many times when I've, when, when we've been doing circles outside or in public spaces where people will not super public spaces, but like on beaches or in parks, where people just feel like they can just walk up to you and say, now, what are you doing now? And who are you? And what is this? And what are you? And what do you believe? And, and, and it's very, it's, I, I would never in a million, if I got the general, if I was walking around someplace and I got the general sense that a group of people were together doing something with intent that did not include me, it would never, it would, I would never think to just go and invade that space with my questions and of course, that's what these boys did. And they, I don't know if the boys thought they were they were being aggressive and mean, but of course they were. And that was the experience that the girls had. And of course, my daughter was very upset about it. Like, you know, what the heck? You can't even like go to the park. And I'm like, yeah. I said, and this is part of the reason why we have the scary witch icon or symbol or archetype, because we do want you to leave us the hell alone sometimes. Like there, there is an element of that. We don't want to answer your questions. I don't mind there being a little fear, honestly, because anyone, anyone in my circle of friends, and that includes many Christians, I'm friends with many Christians. I don't know a single one of my Christian friends who have any fear of me and what I do. And that's probably because they read the Da Vinci Code. Like it doesn't take a lot of research to figure out that most people who claim to be witches are just regular people doing Mm -hmm. pretty benign things with their life, pretty innocent things. And so, so going back to the witch, this idea that it's like the, it's like that meme that says something like, if, if you don't like the smell of sage, then it means it's working, but like smudging sage, like how witch will like burn sage to clear space of its negativities Mm -hmm. or it's, and so the the meme is, Hey, if you don't like how it smells, it means it's working. Right. (laughs) So like for me, I have a pentacle on my front door that's made out of a a wreath and people are like, well, aren't you worried you're going to freak people out? And I'm like, look, if you're walking up to my house or you're walking past my house and you see the pentacle on my door and you're so afraid that you can't knock. That's fine. You don't have to knock. <laughs> yeah. You can keep Probably walking. Better off. You can keep yeah. walking. 
Okay. There's never been a time where anyone in any real earnest authenticity and earnestness that wants to know about what I do or what I what I personally, what my interpretation of modern day paganism is, I, I'm happy to talk about it. But it's very rare that anybody ever asks for any non-judgmental reason. So I have a fondness for the scary witch, the hag, the eye of newt, the tongue of dog thing, because... Right. I don't think it was something that was created just by people who feared witches. I think there was probably at some point some intentional mythos created just to get people to stay the hell away. Yeah. Of course, that backfire, obviously that backfires because now you're being persecuted and hunted at one point, not necessarily now, but anyway. Well, you could also, well, going back to the Wicker Man, you could also infer that that's why they keep testing him that's like their version of of that like trying to freak out howie so that he'll leave them the hell alone or basically steal his own fate yeah yeah because they believe in they they believe that the the sacrifice is not going to work unless it's authentic right right like he has to be worthy it has to be something that he agrees to do and i think for him for, well, at least for the community, the second he donned the clothes of Punch and assumed the role of the king for a day slash fool, that that was him being the willing sacrifice. And and if, yep. if, if you if you include the scene where he he's at the library and he does the research and he reads that part of the of the ritual, then he knows what he's doing. At least theoretically, he knows what he's doing. They make a big point in the climax of the movie of telling him that everything he did was of his own free will. And watching that scene where he goes in there to take a nap and he's awake and they're yeah. like at the outside the door. And I'm like, there's no way they don't like you. You know that they know that he's awake. That's like watching it, knowing the because, like I said, I was familiar with the with the remake, and I so I knew he was gonna in that be inside that Wicker Man by the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, this is such an obvious <clears throat> trap. Watching it with that in mind, that they're like, I I could sell. He's awake. I'm gonna put this there. This will keep him out for hours. Like it's so uh, it's so clear that they're like, let's see if he takes the bait. And he, of course, he did, and uh, and that did not work out well for him. But yeah, it's, it's true. It's, yeah, it, it's it, it's pretty it's pretty blatant to me, the viewer that that was their intention. But yeah, so let's see. I'm trying to see if there's, is there anything else specifically about The Wicker Man that we didn't talk about that you, what it means to you, your connections to the movie? We had a very wide ranging discussion, which I love. Oh, uh, well, I like that it's, I like that it has the elements of a detective story. And I think that's another reason why a lot of people initially feel like, why is this, why is this penned as a horror movie? Like that's been one of the, like, to me, I'm like, a little quasi obsessed with the controversy surrounding this movie and its classification as a horror movie. And that was such a big deal that it affected distribution, which is why the movie never really reached outside of the UK until it was, God, I don't even know if it ever aired in American theaters. I'm not, I'm not sure if it did. And if it did, it probably aired maybe like the old Saturday mat matinee type movie, maybe like yeah, maybe 
that thing, maybe like old drive-ins or something. I don't think it ever had any like, and of course that was not a wide release. Yeah. That was Christopher Lee's huge issue with it was that it it was, it it had been the, the, he felt that the theatrical cut did not present the movie as it's sh- the story as it should have been. Now I watched the theatrical cut again after many years of not having watched it. And I do think that the story still is good the way that it is. I-, I think it's, I think it brings up the same things, the same questions, the same arguments that the extended one does for me. But I, again, like I said, it, it I, I, I am intrigued at the, at the idea. Would you classify this movie as a horror movie? Would you classify the witch as a horror movie like or are those like the same type of movie what what do you say to that like i said at the top at the beginning of the episode like i they're unconventional horror like i i know people that have seen the witch and like uh it was it was boring or it wasn't scary or whatever and i'm like well horror isn't just about like freddy krueger or whatever or like chucky which we're talking about on my other show in the child's movies it's not like it's not just that it's it's more the this the state of tension and like we were saying this movie is tension from the very beginning you can sense that because you're literally coming he howie is obviously our perspective our way into this Mm -hmm. community which most people are would be unfamiliar with and which a lot of people we were saying judeo-christian society that we live in a lot of people would be bringing that with them into the movie and therefore everything that is unrecognizable would be frightening so i can see i would consider it to mainstream audiences a horror movie but it certainly has a lot of the other elements that you were saying with the detective story side of it and with the religious aspect of it i I, there's a lot going on uh, in this film but i would generally say horror movie yeah i think it's scary i think it's it's disconcerting it's the type of fear that leaves one disconcerted exactly but i've heard like i've i've gone through like different reviews on youtube and things like that where people just think it's a it's a joke from beginning to end they just don't i'm like well oh my god am i just like i don't get it i don't i mean it's just one of those movies i i I don't see why you guys think it's a joke or anyway that that actually transitions pretty neatly into my next question which was going to be do you how do you, how annoyed are you that the the legacy of this movie feels like it's tainted by that remake that we were kept referencing, which yeah. maybe that's why people now think this is a joke because they've seen the Nick Cage movie and they're like, oh, this is the exact same thing. Look at the they're wearing yeah. animal masks oh, and what's going on. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't help. Um, yeah, 1973 Wicker Man. I think people, like I said, either they either really like it or they think it's a joke. I don't think there's anyone who's lukewarm on the film. I don't know anyone who thinks that Nicolas Cage movie is any good at all. Like whether or not they've seen 73 Wicker Man or not, I have yet to meet anyone who saw Nicolas Cage's Wicker Man. Now I can tell you as a... Um, modern day pagan and witch i found that movie significantly more offensive to my well just more offensive period than the wicker man because if you remember the the wicker man nicholas cage what 2011 was that movie i don't know too i, I think it, it might matter. have been six maybe okay 2006 perhaps, yeah. i remember that it was a matriarchy 
and all it was like based on like how bees live and all the men had been uh, neutered and had their tongues ripped out and i don't know the whole thing is just this weird it's it's a very it's just like a crazy it's it feels more exploitive exploits it oh my god uh, and then the pagan ways the pagan culture culture. i don't even know what this is like i don't even know what this is i don't know any incarnation Mm -hmm. of of certainly modern day paganism where you know this uh, of course oh so i guess what it's proposing is that if this were for how if we had matriarchies and and this is what it would be of course if women had their own spiritual power and their and you know then obviously men would be reduced to the roles of voiceless servants and then of course nicholas cage spends at least a solid five minutes like punching every woman he sees in the face (laughs) yes i don't get it like i feel like i'm watching something from like the deepest recesses of an incel's brain like whoever scripted that was like really having problems with women at that (laughs) (laughs) well it's it it feels like either it's either exploiting pagan iconography and literally turning it into a nonsensical cultish gobbledygook. Yeah. And, and then throwing in the like you were saying, the fear of the matriarchy in into it. And yeah. it, and it lacks <laughs> I, I as far as I'm aware, it, that character isn't presented as such a devout Christian, which oh, means no. it takes right. the entire the entire spine of the original movie and this mm-hmm. conversation yeah. completely ripped out of it. So there's no right. contrast. It's not like him going in, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ will, you know, yeah, will no save you. you my him. God is the true God. Yeah, that's none of that. Yeah, it's like just even like the him pigs, being like, what's up with all these ladies? This is scary. This, I'm getting out of I, here. You know, this the Summer Isle pagans, they're like, they revere him. I, I think to some degree, he's also a fool. She says that, but he's still king for the day. And she says, you will you will be anointed and revered as king because that's what you are. And of course, this guy is just, he's just a dumpster fire from like beginning to end. And then on top of this, on top of that, there's just this crazy, I, and here's the other thing. Like, I don't, there's no, there are no, the Wicker Man 73, I feel like did a great, like there's no supernatural elements. Right. Like, again, the fear is fanaticism. The fact that this stuff happened long ago and could happen again. Right. When when we say, oh, human sacrifice, a group of people doing ridiculous things, a group of people coming together and, and making sure someone is killed for some reason they all think is good at the time. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, really? How close are we to it happening again? Like with stories that beg the question, like just how civilized are we? And what mm-hmm. does it take to, to have that civilization d- degenerate? When I think of anything that, that, that comes out of like mob mentality, like I, like today I watched the insurrection investigation and I saw the videos of like when, when when groups of people get together, they can do some destructive stuff. Yeah, you know. But I, again, I just I, like I I don't get any of that from Nicolas Cage. Is there's none of that. Like there's he he's just he's just a dumpster fire. And then there's all this like weird quasi supernatural stuff where like 
you think the kid is dead, but she's not dead. Like there's things like you don't even know what you're watching. There's None no of that. Logic. Yeah. Again, the other, the other movie, like, again, they, the, it made sense that you felt like this is a story that could happen. I don't even know what the hell is happening. I keep, you know, it's this, like to make it a modern movie, they had to, overly complicate everything and i think the yeah like he sees the, the girl get in the, yeah the girl yeah. gets in the car accident and then she's not in the car accident and then the girlfriend shows up and then maybe that kid is his kid and all, i'm like what the heck is happening like it was and then and then james franco's at the end of it like do you remember <laughs> like he's at the very end he's like the next sacrifice presumably because like the girls go and pick up random dudes and, and yeah. you know to bring them back for next year's sacrifice, presumably. It's completely devoid of of all the substance that's in like what makes the original work so well is it's a very on its on paper, it's a very yeah. simple story, but thematically yeah. very rich and very right. resonant. And I've said a lot on this on this podcast of how horror fantasy sci-fi, those are all allegorical for real life things. Like you were saying, there is this fanaticism. I already referenced recent politics, definitely scary fanaticism happening mm. in that realm. So it it is not as far-fetched as people might think it, it is watching right. this movie, but so really? yeah. So you, you were saying earlier about how a lot of people still haven't discovered Wicker Man 73. Hopefully 2006 version hasn't put them off completely. Can you please it's sell listeners who haven't seen Wicker Man 73 on why they should check it out? Like, who is this movie for and why should they see it? I think this movie is for people who really like to be creeped out, who have it, who, who really appreciate the art of a good creep. You know, I also think it's a good movie for people and I know, I know these people exist. They are, they have a fondness for early 1970s horror and like the, there's like a, well, I'll just say it for me, there's something just inherently creepy about the early seventies period. And mm. there's something about horror movies of that time period where they have all of these common characteristics, these common looks to them. I don't know if it's just like the exposure of the film they used at the, during the day, that thing. But I think anybody who appreciates horror stories from that time period needs to see this and consider where it fits among horror movies and suspense movies of that time period. Because I really do think it's something that should be talked about in the same way that we talk about Rosemary's Baby. I think it's a movie for anybody who has an appreciation for Christopher Lee and how yes. amazing he is and, and what he lends to every role he's ever done, you know? And I feel like, and he didn't take a salary for that film. A lot of people involved in making that film did not take salaries because that's how, that's how obviously little their budget was. And that was how committed they were to the project. And that right there for me is like when a bunch of artists get together and they're willing, they're, they're that committed to the vision of their project i think there's something special happening there and i think that that you can see that in the wicker man i think anybody who is interested in stories about what pre-christian or celtic mysticism or ritual might have looked like i think this is definitely this is definitely for you. Yeah, I just, I, I, I think it's, I'm not, like I said, I, I said this at the very beginning, we talked about the, the witch. I am not a lover of the horror 
genre, but ironically, some of my most favorite films are considered horror movies. And I guess this is one of them, but like The Witch is one of them. This is one of them. Another one of my favorite horror movies is The Descent, oh, Rosemary's Baby. I need to Baby. revisit that. Yeah. yeah uh, Rosemary's Baby. There's like, I, I look back and I'm like, God, for somebody who doesn't like horror, like you like a lot of scary, <laughs> like tra- movies that are considered scary. But I, I don't think any of the reasons I like those movies necessarily are because I got scared. I just, right. I just, I, I just think that they were really something about those stories I thought were just really compelling. I think there's just something in that horror is under the guise of horror. I think filmmakers are able to explore themes and and content and perspectives that they aren't mm-hmm. usually able to. I feel like there's more leeway in there. I'm not exactly sure why, but I, I think there's there's something to that. Maybe yes. they often tend to be smaller budgeted, so they maybe can get away with it. They have more freedom. And this movie has a very clear perspective on things. And its legacy is, I, th- I think you're right. I think its legacy is is underrated, but you can see even now, like I said, Midsummer, very clearly ha- hearkening back to this, watching this for the first time and having seen Hot Fuzz a million times, mm-hmm. I still saw the direct influence on, on this movie on Edgar Wright's filmmaking. So it's, oh, it's wow. seeping into the culture, I think slowly but surely. And, and it's... Hopefully that they'll that will only continue to grow because I agree with you. I think you you're either gonna lo- love this movie or hate it. And I actually enjoyed this a lot. Like I said, I was bringing my own atheistic perspective to this yeah. whole thing, being yeah. like, well, both of these things are fine, but not to an extreme. And then when it happens that it gets to the extreme, then I'm like, okay, now I I can't follow. I get, up to because up until the end. I was like, oh, some Ryle people, they're living their life, whatever. They're living their best life. Howie, don't bother them. Don't uh, bother until them. the end when it Mind went too your far. Business, it's Howie. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like my whole thing as be of being non-religious really is just let people do their thing. As long as it's not hurting anyone, whatever. That's that's yeah. fine. Let that let them do them and we don't all have to think the same. It's whatever. And and then they hurt someone. And now I'm like, well, right. Uh, all right. Well, that's too bad for Howie, but. <laughs> but yeah, it, it goes back to what people will do in the name of their their God. And yeah, uh, it's as, pretty as you, horrific. You, right. It is. It is. And it's I think that's right. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So, yeah, this was a great well, conversation. I, I'm so, I would I'm also so glad just, we got to watch this. Yeah, and go ahead. one more thing I would just recommend that, that once you see it, if you do, if you did like it, go back and watch it again now that you know how it well you knew how it ended but like like the, I, to see like i said to see it a second time and to know and to and to know that everybody there knows what's going to happen except howie it does it changes things it, it does add a whole layer of complexity i think and also too i think and, and again i think the dialogue is 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 fantastic i think it's i think both of these stories the witch and the wicker man rely a whole bunch on subtext and i think that when you have really good dialogue then the potential for horror is even that much more you know what i mean like there's just mm-hmm. so many layers there but anyway yeah so yeah I feel like your perspective shifts. Like if you're watching this for the first time, knowing nothing, you might be more on Howie's side because you're like, yeah, what is going on here? They mm-hmm. buried the, they buried Rowan's grave, had a, had a, a March hair in it. Like what yeah. is going on? Yeah. And then watching it a second time, you're like, oh, Howie, he doesn't even know right. what's about to happen. Um, but yeah, so. 
he throws that hair on the ground and and the fur and it cuts to Christopher Lee and he says Oh, Rowan always loved the March Hare. And, <laughs> and they know exactly where she is. And they're so messing with him. Yeah. And he's just so indignant. And just and there it's just it, again, it's those kinds of moments where where you 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 really do appreciate how good the writing actually is. And as you were saying, Christopher Lee, like who doesn't love Christopher Lee mm-hmm. in anything? That voice oh, that he had. Oh man. Yeah. What a, like, what I don't a, what know an you. actor. I don't, I don't want to know yeah. you if you if you're not moved or compelled by Christopher Lee in a role. I don't care what role it is. I don't want to know who you are. Like you, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I agree completely. Amy, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on well, the show. Can you, you tell me. people where they can find you on social media? Oh, I don't know if I'm anywhere else. I, I'm I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, I, I, something, Twitter. You're on Twitter. Yeah, I think I'm on. Yeah, I'm on Instagram too. But it's just me. It's Amy Otero. Awesome. And yeah, we'll, we'll have to find something else to talk about another time. Maybe The Descent, maybe a non-horror movie for a change. Totally oh. up to you, but we'll, we'll figure okay. that out. All right. Have a great, great night. Big thanks to Amy Otero for coming on to discuss 1973's The Wicker Man, another horror, uh, classic horror blind spot of mine, which is a real... Real treat to uh, discuss in such detail with someone who loves it as much as Amy does. Now, I want to know, have you seen the original Wicker Man? Be honest. Not the Nick Cage remake. The the real one. The one one that Amy and I discussed for over an hour and 15 minutes on this episode. If you have, what did you think of it? Let me know on Twitter at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram or via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.